Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Welcome, everybody, to Lesson 1 of the Healing Virtues Teleclass, Transforming Your Practice Through the Animal Reiki Code of Ethics. This lesson, the theme, is Guiding Principles for Healing Hearts and Minds, Clarifying Your Goals and Destination in Your Practice. And I'm really excited to teach this class and to be here with all of you tonight because I actually wrote this Code of Ethics in 2007. I was thinking I wrote it in 2008, but I looked back at my records <laughs> when I was working on this class, and I thought, oh, my God, it's been 2007? What? So it's literally been 10 years since I wrote this Code of Ethics. And I'm very proud to say that when I read through the Code of Ethics now, 10 years later, having had 10 more years of experience in my own practice of treatments and teaching classes and and learning from animals that I still feel very proud about the code of ethics I feel that it is very complete and it is totally still in line with my work in this field and so I um I just feel that um I don't know almost as if there were um you know, angel animals watching over me when I was writing it 10 years ago saying, we've got to make this last the long haul because because when I, when I went back, um, you know, uh, in those days, when I think about those days, it just was very different um, than it is today just as far as how many practitioners there are and everything. Um, it's much more accepted today than it was 10 years ago. Um, so I thought um, we're going to kind of go over, um, in, the, in the next several weeks, I'm going to kind of take each section of the Code of Ethics and um, talk about it in depth and also lead a meditation kind of on that section of the Code of Ethics. So we'll do the meditation at the end tonight, but I want us to look deeper than just reciting the Code of Ethics because you might read through it once and then not look at it. Maybe you have it on a poster on your wall, but you don't really look at it. So it's most powerful when we really look at it and then meditate on it. So that's kind of my goal for the next um, five weeks is that we look at each section on its own and um, talk about it and go through it. So... I want to start tonight with what I thought was a great place to start, which is, you know, why write a code of ethics for animal Reiki practitioners? You know, why even do that? And so first and foremost, in the context of a Reiki session, I wanted to protect animals' dignity and also empowerment because it's so important that they have a voice in the process of Reiki and so that humans' good intentions don't carry them away through their own agenda and expectation. So, you know, we mean well. The reason why we practice animal Reiki is because we want to help heal the animals. But so often our agenda takes over our human need to do and to fix really takes over and um we forget as as, you know much as we mean well and as much as we love animals we forget that they should lead this process and we should empower them to do that and that our process has to protect that part of it because so many times i see 
I see it all the time all over the Internet is, you know, animal healers, you know, in, in other words, people that heal animals. Look at these healers. They're healing these animals. And this animal had this problem and this animal had that problem and this person healed it, you know. And for me, that's such an egotistical way to look at the healing process and all the depth and beauty of what exactly is happening. So, and also not giving animals any credit for what they bring to the process, for the shared process that healing is between practitioner and client. And, um, you know, just for the wisdom uh, of animals in healing. So first and foremost, I wanted to protect animals' dignity and empower them in that way because I I really didn't see it, not only in in Reiki, but really in general in healing of animals, different healing modalities. So I I saw that the way that I succeeded or had successful Reiki treatments was through empowering animals to lead the way and through listening to that. And so I wanted to really um, honor that and set a standard for others. And so that was um, one reason, one, probably the, the very most important, biggest reason. Another reason why to write a code of ethics was that I want to help animals um, by helping humans. <laughs> so, you know, humans have to reach out to animals to help them. But what if, you know, Reiki and these ethics can help us to reach out in the best, most most loving way, full of compassion? Um, So animal suffering is eased. I want to empower animal lovers to be the healing change that they want to see in the world. And with Reiki, that really starts on the inside of each of us, each of our spirits, and it ripples out to our animal family, and then we get inspired to go out then into, you know, helping other animals, maybe a friend, and then hopefully we get inspired to go out even further into the community and help animals kind of outside our immediate circle. And so I wanted to create this code of ethics to help humans to do that, to create a standard of approach and uh, an ethical foundation so that humans could go out and help animals with Reiki. And third, I wrote the Code of Ethics because I want to help bring together the animal Reiki community. Many of us feel really isolated and not only from other holistic modalities that might use a very different approach than us, but also we feel isolated from the veterinary community because they don't always understand the, the non-invasive approach that Reiki gives, which can do no harm. And so this code of ethics helps us, all of us in the animal Reiki community, to hold hands together in unity for the good of all beings, regardless of species. And that brings me to the fourth reason why I wrote this Code of Ethics, and that is because I want to clarify the differences between sharing Reiki with humans versus the human approach. Um, I mean, sharing Reiki with animals versus the human approach with Reiki. So in most Reiki circles, um, animals are more like a, a footnote in courses at best. So um, you might go to a class and it's like a Reiki one course and they'll spend the whole time talking about people, working with self-treatment, working with treatment people and everything. And then at the end they might say, oh, and also you can use it on animals, you know, and other, you know, whatever, all living beings. Okay, and that's it. Congratulations, you're done, you know. So it's very much footnoted. And so um, the more that I worked with animals, I mean, that's how I was taught, you know, to be honest, because there weren't animal Reiki courses per se when I started Reiki back in the 90s. And so that's how exactly how I was taught. And so I started my, my whole practice and everything 
based on all the rules I'd learned for humans. And I ran into quite a few problems. <laughs> As any of you who have taken my courses know, sometimes I tell those stories of how I ended up having to, you know, put a dog on a leash so they didn't leave, so that I could do Reiki on them, or I would cross-tie a horse so I could do Reiki on them. And um, it was just very hands-on touch-based, very much like the way, of course, we work with people. And um, animals really, you know, some animals submitted to it and said, well, okay, fine, you know. But a lot of animals didn't want anything to do with it. And so I found myself not feeling good about what was happening. And so that's what got me on the road of finding a different approach, you know, using Reiki techniques but in a different way that would resonate with animals, that would cause animals to be drawn to me instead of repelled away from me. (laughs) So... So I think this code of ethics is really clarifying the differences and honoring them. Because animals are not only our clients, they're also our teachers. Because they're actually more, I believe they're more spiritually evolved. So I believe they can guide us and inform our journey as Reiki practitioners. And thus, they deserve to be approached with a humble heart. They deserve to be allowed to be who they are, you know, instead of having to, you know, be in a a, a box of what we think they should act like and what we think they should do when we're, quote, doing Reiki, you know. I believe that in animal Reiki, we need to meet them where they are and let go of preconceived notions instead of, you know, asking them to conform to our narrow human ideas of what it means to do Reiki, to be Reiki. So all of these differences, I wanted to highlight them in the Code of Ethics. I also wrote the Code of Ethics because I want to validate those unique skills and inner mental spiritual cultivation that working with animals requires. Because animals are so aware of our inner thoughts and emotional feelings. So we have to leave our anger, our worries, our ego, and all other negativity at the door if we hope to inspire enough trust that they'll want to share our space. And that's a really difficult thing um, because I think as humans, we're used to hiding things from each other, right? Um, and nobody knows. <laughs> well, some of us are better at hiding it than others, um, and some of us are better at sensing it than others. But really, in general, you have to check your ego at the door. You have to check your expectations at the door when you work with animals. So I, so that requires really, pra- you know, practice, spiritual practice, re- daily Reiki practice to help us to be in a space where we can be, you know, successful in connecting with animals. So this code is really about validating that, you know, that we have, you know, that unique thing that we have to cultivate within ourselves in order to work with animals. Very special. I also want to create a common starting ground for all Reiki practitioners who want to work with animals, one that honors and protects animals' special sensitivities and gifts. We all might bring unique talent, skills, and training to an animal Reiki session, but if we all start from the roots of the code of the ethics, then the tree that grows through our animal practice will be healthy and strong, even if it is unique to our own spirit, our own experience, our own lineage, you know, the way that it comes through to us to make, uh, you know, Reiki our own. But if we start with the code of ethics in our roots, then it'll be, all will be well, regardless of all of those other kind of surface differences. And I think that's really important to have that common starting ground, especially because it's, um, you know, so sensitive to the animals and honoring of the animals. So that's really important to um, honor and protect them. I also wrote the code of ethics because I wanted to express 
the power of our practice of heart-to-heart healing with the language that gives credibility to our profession because it is a very long and patient practice. Being able to drop the human ego so that we can truly listen to our animal friends and teachers, it's only then that we can be truly present for animals, even in a difficult moment of suffering with an open heart and a positive mind. And that might sound very simple, but in fact, it's often very difficult and done only through practice. And so, you know, our profession is a very special one because it is very powerful. Yes, it is very simple, but only because it touches the essence of who we are. You know, we are our heart. We are not the bodies we live in. And the same goes with the animals. And so this heart-to-heart connection that Reiki cultivates is very, very special. And to see it with, between humans is very special and beautiful. But to feel that connection between species is, you know, there really aren't words to express how special it is, how powerful it is, how healing it is. And so our profession is, um, is very, very special and dear to my heart. So um, the Code of Ethics was meant to, to help to give credibility. So I probably wrote the Code of Ethics for, for even more, many more reasons. <laughs> but upon reflection and meditation, those really were the main um, reasons for writing this code. And I wanted to take a few minutes to talk about that because, you know, part of why I wanted to do this class is really to support all of you to be more successful and for your practices, whatever they look like for you, for them to really thrive. And I believe that we have all the seeds that we can water and grow our beautiful practices in this code of ethics. And so I wanted to take some time to talk about, you know, where I was coming from when I was writing it so that you can sort of see the direction um, that they point to. And, you know, as we go through the next five weeks, we'll be touching upon different aspects and different pieces, but they'll all come back to, hopefully you'll kind of see, oh, yeah, you know, this was part of the reason why it was written. And, oh, I see, yes, this is, you know, also another reason why it was written. So I think the purpose behind things is very important. And, um, you know, the other thing is sharing where I'm coming from hopefully will resonate with a lot of you so that you can feel really safe and comfortable and good about not only really um, incorporating the code of ethics into all your work with Reiki and animals, but also just for your, for your own um, inner practice and knowing um, that this is a, a very, I feel that the Code of Ethics really came from, from myself, from my deepest heart, from really a place of love. And so I hope you can really feel that as we go through it um, over the next several classes. So I'm going to stop there for a moment and unmute you guys. You can always press star six to mute yourself again. Um, if you have noise where you are, but I'm just going to unmute you for a second to see if you have any questions at this point or any comments on anything I've mentioned. Y'all should be unmuted now. Anybody? Kathleen? Yeah, this is this is Suzanne. I just really hi. I just really liked what you said um, about our process needs to protect the animals' dignity and to empower the animals to lead the way. And you know, just working, I volunteer at um, Horses of Hope here in Oregon, mm-hmm. and it was really interesting because you know what the two women who kind of run, you know, the program, they're 
idea of what they knew Reiki to be was not what, you know, what Sarah teaches or what you teach. And it was just really, you know, they just looked at me when I explained to them and they were like, wow, okay. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> you know, just giving the animal that power to choose whether they they want it or not. Mm-hmm. It was just really exciting to see them. The light kind of went on. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, it was. That's wonderful. Thank you for sharing that. Anybody else before we keep going? All right, let me meet you guys again. So the next section, I want to talk about what commitments towards your Reiki practice you should make in order to thrive, to have a thriving practice, thriving and abundant. As I wrote the Animal Reiki Practitioner Code of Ethics, I reflected very deeply on the heartfelt commitment to their animal Reiki practice that the most successful and wonderful practitioners that I know possess And if you can model your own practice on these same four commitments, then your work with animals on a small private scale, but even a larger professional scale, will be a great success and thrive. So I'm going to, so this comes not only from my own practice and what's really helped me, but um, really reflecting on the best practitioners I know. So four commitments. The first one, number one a commitment to pursue a healing path for ourselves and for the animal. So successful and abundant, thriving animal Reiki practitioners are committed to personal growth and healing through Reiki. We know that the more committed we are to our own personal practice of Reiki, the more effective we will be when sharing Reiki with animals. So it's very important to incorporate Reiki into our daily lives to really make it ours in our own authentic, unique way to be Reiki every single day. This experience of being Reiki is in essence the experience of the healing that happens in the space of oneness, of harmony, of unity. It's in this space, this Reiki space, that we realize we're not separate from animals. We can, in fact, we can commune and connect with them at the deepest level. And when we do this and we look at the world with our Reiki eyes, we can see the world and its animals with compassion, reverence, and gratitude. And in this space, we find our heart's motivation to be truly committed to animal healing. So that daily practice really helps us to open up our heart in that way. The more we work on our own issues, setting a daily intention for healing, we become clearer and stronger in our ability to share Reiki with animals because they'll sense our pure intention to help them they'll sense the energy that we are radiating, all that peace and humility and gratitude. They will be drawn to it. And it's so amazing to see animals come forward and ask for a treatment and ask to share our energetic space. It's actually a profound lesson in the wisdom of animals their wisdom about energy, their wisdom about connection, their wisdom about how heart-to-heart connections create healing. Animals just know this. And we can see it when they choose to connect and come forward. That's really um, important to pursue our own healing path as well, kind of as a foundation. So commitment number two, 
is to support the animal's family. So it's important to remember when we work with animals, it's not in isolation. We are also working hand-in-hand with their animal companions and also their human companions. Because when animals are sick, injured, or otherwise suffering or in need of healing, both animal and human family are affected. So we can really facilitate this by inviting family members, human and animal, to sit in the room with us during the animal's treatment so that they can be a part of the session and share and support. And sometimes human companions might even decide to set up their own separate appointments (laughs) for their own treatment because when they're sitting with you and their animals, they'll fall asleep or they'll suddenly feel peaceful for the first time in a long time and they realize how good this Reiki is and so they want their own treatment. Yay! (laughs) And that's good and that's okay. Just because you're an animal Reiki practitioner doesn't mean you can't work on people. In fact, people are animals. We've just kind of forgotten it, but we still, we are. There's another reason it's important to support the whole family, not just the animal client. By giving support to the family, you're compassionately validating the significance of and difficulty of caring for an injured, ill, or dying animal. And you're also supporting and validating the importance of the role that the animal plays in the family. And this kind of validation, unfortunately, is frequently missing in our society. For example, you know, many of uh, the people that I've shared Reiki with their animals, they've shared with me that, for example, maybe their animal died And then they went to work a couple days later. And if they showed any kind of sadness or grief for more than like 24 hours, then people would start saying, well, it's only a dog. You know, it's only a cat. Get over it. And others, you know, have shared with me that um, maybe their animal was very sick, but they decided to care for their animals, even though they had like a really bad chronic illness or disease or maybe they had a long hospice. And people around them would say, well, gosh, that's a lot of work and and expense. You know, why don't you just put them down? So this kind of insensitivity is all over our society, all over the world towards animals. And so when you walk into the home and you bring Reiki to the family, you're bringing healing, peace, and comfort, yes, but you are also bringing an acknowledgement, validation, and support this animal is very important to this family. This animal is a, an integral part of the family and that the grief, you know, the worry, the sadness that everybody feels, you know, that that is okay. You are there to hold a beautiful, peaceful space for that, which is, I think that is just really beautiful to be able to do that. If you find yourself working with an animal that is very ill, maybe approaching their transition, then you might walk into a home that's extremely stressful, extremely emotional. And, you know, everybody in the family might be dealing with the situation differently. And it's important your role as a Reiki practitioner is to just remain open and accepting of the feeling and needs of every family member. So we have to stay centered. We have to stay grounded. And that will help us stay peaceful and holding the space for everybody, that Reiki space, so that everybody can feel comfortable to be themselves and to be, you know, open their hearts to healing in that beautiful space that you're holding. I think, you know, part of sharing animal Reiki with animals is that, you know, sometimes as practitioners, we might receive intuitive information about the animal, you know, about their, their emotions or 
what they're feeling. Some people may receive messages and everything. What I found is with Reiki, you don't need words. Reiki is beyond words. So very rarely, maybe there's something that you receive intuitively that might be helpful to comfort the person, you know, and that's fine to share with them. Maybe it will bring comfort and clarity to them. That's great. But I really feel that the most power we possess as Reiki practitioners is in the, the quiet, the quiet moments where the hearts are open. And the communication of the heart is so much deeper and more healing than communication of the mouth. And so to close the mouth and open the heart, <laughs> for me, that is so such a beautiful way to be listeners, to be witnesses, and to be present for whatever that looks like. And I think it's really important to, to, to let go of judgment even in the midst of a difficult and emotional decision, like um, the decision to euthanize, that that's really up to the person, the animal's person and their veterinarian. And so, you know, and I always, of course, also, um, I like to refer people to Gail Pope's books so that they know at least can educate themselves about hospice and the potential for a natural dying process. And then allowing, just, you know, making sure they have all the information that they need, but then just sitting and holding the space. And whatever decision they make is just perfect if it's made out of love. And I think that is a really powerful space that we can hold as Reiki practitioners. Commitment number three is to support other animal health professionals and needy animals in the community. I see every animal Reiki practitioner as an ally to the veterinary profession. Now, the veterinarians are the ones who are leading our community when it comes to health and well-being. So we have to create partnerships and cooperative relationships the veterinarians and other practitioners in the animal health field. This can often be difficult because Reiki is still relatively unknown in traditional veterinary professions, although more and more um, it is accepted in holistic veterinary offices, which is really wonderful. And other animal health practitioners these days understand and know what Reiki for animals is all about. At least they have maybe a small beginning idea. It's really important to see ourselves not as the savior of the animals, but to see ourselves as working in tandem with vets and other supportive professionals like animal chiropractors, animal acupuncture and acupressure people, massage therapists, trainers, animal communicators, groomers, pet sitters, dog walkers, and so on and so on and so on. You know, all of these people are working toward the same goal as us, happiness, wellness, and a good quality of life for our animal companions. Every animal's path to balance and wholeness is unique. It may require a combination of many healing modalities. So Reiki can be an integral supportive component of any regimen chosen for the animal because it always supports rebalancing, reharmonizing wholeness. So building professional alliances, sharing knowledge, and creating friendships with other practitioners and vets, it will bring new knowledge, depth, and insight to you as a professional. We can accomplish so much more together than apart. So seeing yourself as part of a team is really important to be successful. And to further support the healing community, animal Reiki practitioners should reach out to animals that need it most, those in shelters, sanctuaries, and rescue centers. So many of us already, because we're animal lovers, we might donate money to these organizations. Some of us may donate time. But by adding the gift of Reiki, you're simply stepping up to a new level of commitment. 
in donating our time and knowledge for Reiki treatments for animals or perhaps classes for staff and volunteers, we receive blessing and gifts that repay our efforts many times over. Many of Reiki's deepest lessons in animal healing are to be found within the walls of a neighborhood animal shelter or tucked away behind the fence of a nearby animal sanctuary. And in addition, by becoming a valued volunteer for these organizations, we build community friendships that will last a lifetime. The fourth commitment and final commitment that I'm going to talk about tonight is our commitment to educate others about animal Reiki. We are pioneers in the holistic animal health field. So we must learn to educate other people, whether it's animal health professionals, veterinarians, or just animal caretakers. We have to be able to talk about what we do with them. So even if right now when I say, hey, you're an educator, if that like makes you uncomfortable, (laughs) you wanna work on getting more comfortable with that because We need to help some of these people understand the value of integrating Reiki into the animal healing program. As much as we might like to just spend all of our time with the animals and not with the people, (laughs) we have to educate the human companions of the animals with whom we work. Whether those human companions are, you know, living with them in their homes or whether it's the staff or uh, volunteers of a shelter or an animal organization. We're going to have to go through the people to get to the animals. So we have to learn to create a language about what we do so that humans feel comfortable in letting us, you know, share Reiki with their fur kids. So this includes explaining what they should expect, a session to look like, and maybe common behavioral reactions to a Reiki session, uh, like, you know, being relaxed, yawning, laying down, you know, that kind of stuff. And it also involves, and this is really, really important, it involves letting them know that the animal, not the Reiki practitioner, is in charge. The animal is in charge of how and indeed whether the treatment unfolds. So they can say no. And when they say yes, then it's going to unfold exactly the way they want. It's not our agenda. We're following their guidance. Luckily, you know, sometimes it's hard to put Reiki into words, right? But luckily, the experience of the treatment can often speak even more powerfully than anything we can say because animals are so wise And they often show us so clearly in their responses, not only that they are sharing Reiki and feeling that energy, but also that that they benefit. They can see the benefits. Animals are often the best Reiki teachers. The lessons they teach us are best learned when we are in a place of humility and respect where animals are active partners, but even more than that, wise guides to us. So if we look at ourselves as animal Reiki practitioners in the Reiki world, since most Reiki practitioners train and work solely or primarily with humans, then our human Reiki people are often very interested in the differences of our approach and our methods when we work with animals. But you know what? We can also learn from them, from their human treatment experiences. And of course, they can learn from us when we share lessons animals have taught us. So we can gain insights from each other into Reiki treatments for humans versus animals, into, you know, the depth of healing and what that process, you know, looks like, all the different levels, you know, for humans and animals. 
the universal language of energy, life lessons, encourage, joy, hope, forgiveness, gratitude, and so on. These are lessons that we can learn from each other as human Reiki practitioners speaking to animal Reiki practitioners. So the more that we can really educate people about what we're doing, the more successful we're going to be. So those four commitments, if you can set them into your heart, really set your intention for those commitments, your practice, whatever it looks like, whether you want it to be small and personal and just in your family, whether you have big dreams for really changing the community where you live or the region where you live or the world, whatever your goals are, if you commit yourself to those four areas, you will succeed and you will thrive. Absolutely. I'm going to take a minute now to unmute you all and open it up again for any comments or questions about these four commitments um, in our animal Reiki practice. Anybody? Hi, Kathleen. This what? is Melanie in um, Massachusetts. Melanie. Hi. Um, hi. I really appreciate the commitments. That was so helpful, and it, it's a great um, structure, I think, for thinking about um, the rest of the ethics piece. Um, I wanted to just note that on the on number four, on educating and learning from human practitioners, I am doing um, my master um, class in June. And I'm doing it in, in, with a human teacher. And I, she knows that I practice with animals and that I have for some time and that it's all kind of mysterious to her, I think. And <laughs> in, in preparation for the master's class, she, she came to me just this week and said, um, it's not okay with me if, you, if all of your practice, all your case studies are, are animals. I want you to do half people. And I was feeling so resentful of it because I really didn't want to. I just wanted to do my animal stuff. So it was just really helpful to have you say that. Um, I know that I can learn something from doing that. I know it will be helpful, but I could feel myself resisting it. So it was just a really good and, and apropos message for me tonight. Thank you. Oh, good. Well, I'm glad. I'm glad that that came just at the right moment. And yeah. I'm sure everybody on this call who's listening feels the same way because we're all animal people. So put us in a barn filled with 100 animals. We're at home. Put us in a party filled with 100 people. We want to go home as soon as possible. <laughs> so, I mean, so have, you know, being told that, I'm sure you're just like, no, I want animals. I want animals. But I really believe that when you step forward and embrace the human aspect that you will succeed. Your animal practice will thrive because of that, because you've stepped over that. Because in reality, every animal that you work with is going to have that human component. And you can ignore it. You know, you can go into a shelter and you can ignore all the staff and all the volunteers and just focus on the animals, for example. But if you instead go in there and see the humans as part of your service, you will gain the love and the respect and the trust of all of the people there, and they will then, you know, um, integrate. They'll want to integrate you and your practice more deeply into the animals because of the relationships and how, what they've experienced with the Reiki you've given them. So not just sharing Reiki with the animals, but sharing Reiki with the people too there is, I think, really important. We've seen this in um, Sarah, my nonprofit Shelter Animal Reiki Association, is the, the practitioners that go the next step and share Reiki also with the humans have a much stronger program at that organization. So I think that um, even if your focus is animals, if you can integrate the human part in a in a heartfelt way, not in a you know resistant mm-hmm. way, but yeah. that 
it's it's really going to make your practice very abundant. I think I knew that intellectually, but I wasn't sure why I was resisting so. But I just, I it just became clear listening to you. So thanks. Oh, good. I'm so glad. Kathleen, well, good luck with all that. Kathleen, this is Mary. Can I ask a question about about sure, that? Sure. It's interesting to me the woman here who's got it now half, half human and half animal uh, sessions in her master class. How? And I've thought about this a lot. How do you? I like what you've taught for the animal Reiki about offering it to them and then choosing it. And so it's being so different than how I was taught for human Reiki. So what? How, so how how do you go about them making that transition um, to teach doing half human and half um, animals? You know what I'm saying? My view is I want to do the animal Reiki version on with humans. <laughs> well. Well, and, and you can, you can accept people need physical contact for the most part. So, you know, if I was going to go, um, if somebody came to me, let's say I had a Reiki center for people, and they came to me, and so I had them lay down a massage table, and then I went and I sat in the corner of the room and closed my eyes and meditated for 60 minutes, and then in 60 minutes I went, okay. The person would be like, well, I'm supposed to pay you for that? Like, what? You know what I'm saying? But yeah. an, animal, an animal would be like laying there, snoring, like, oh, this feels so good. They'd probably come over and come on our lap or whatever. Or or they wouldn't or they'd stay away. But, you know, by the end of that session, the animal is in Reiki heaven, right? Just like like soaking it up and peaceful and all that, all those good things, you know. But we're not that sensitive. So um, so the hand position, think of them as like, you know, mudras um, for your um, focus, for your um, compassion, for your practice. They're focus points for the love and the open heart and, you know, all the things that animals teach us. So I, when I work with people, my heart and my mind and my intention is exactly the same as when I'm with animals. But if you were to look at me, I might look different sitting in the middle of a kennel in a shelter, standing in the middle of a field with a group of horses, and then, you know, having doing Reiki on somebody sitting in a chair, putting my hands on their shoulders. Those might look like three different scenarios, but you know what? In my heart and mind, they're exactly the same. Uh, that's really helpful. That's really helpful. Thank you. Uh, can I add one more thing? It's Melanie. Yes, yes. Um, I, I'm a small animal massage therapist as well, and when I was trained, we had to test out on humans before they would allow us to touch the animals. And I always thought, I, I really appreciated that because you get more feedback from people. They are more skeptical. Um, they are less sensitive, as you just said. And when you go then to work with an animal that is so sensitive and so trusting and so open to energy, there's like a larger responsibility in some ways. So I thought it, mm-hmm. I, I, just, I just hadn't seen that parallel until this discussion, but mm-hmm. it, it's obvious to me now why I have to do half of them as people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, wonderful. <laughs> Yay. Thank you. Kathleen, right. this is Lisa. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Hi. Um, I know when I had when I had uh, Reiki treatment for myself before my surgery, and my practitioner and I were talking, she now wants to take when I'm able to to teach. She says that she wants to take a Reiki course from me, and that we're going to switch. So I'm going to take my first human Reiki course from her, and she's going to take her first um, animal Reiki course from me, so that we can just like swap them. That's beautiful. So I, I love it. I thought. I thought that was like, she's like, so not tell me more. I'm like, I need a treatment from you before my surgery. And she's like, but tell me more, tell me more. So it was, it was really awesome. So I ended up spending about three hours with her and my Reiki treatment only lasted about 45 minutes, but we ended up just talking for like the next, you know, hour and a half. So awesome. Yeah, it was great. Beautiful. That's beautiful. I love it. 
All right, so I'm going to mute you guys again, and we're going to um, finish tonight with a meditation with the five guiding principles of the Code of Ethics. So given all of my intentions and commitments in writing the Code of Ethics um, and how all of these intentions and commitments are going to make you the most successful, abundant practitioners, now we're going to meditate um, on the guiding principles. These principles are the foundation for the code of ethics. They underlie every other part of the ethics that we'll discuss throughout the rest of this course. So reading them is great, but putting them into meditation so we can open our hearts and minds and invite them in even better. So we're going to start then with some hara breathing. Your hara is the energy center below your belly button in the center of your physical being. You can imagine as a beautiful sphere of light that grounds you, that centers you. So as you breathe, imagine on the inhale, you can bring the breath as a beautiful healing light in through the nose, filling your body all the way down to the hara in the lower belly. And on the out breath, expand that light out your skin into your aura and into the universe. And breathing in this beautiful light, filling your body and connecting to the hara. And breathing out, expanding this light all around you. And breathing in, connecting to the hara. And breathing out, expanding. And just Relax your breath now and sit in this beautiful space of light. For today only, do not anger, do not worry, be humble, be honest, be compassionate. Our first guiding principle is, I believe animals are equal partners in the healing process. Take a moment to think of animals who have been healing partners to you in your life. This can be in the Reiki context or just the healing context. Animals who've walked side by side with you with love and loyalty through good times and bad. Invite those animals into your mind and let the lessons they've taught you wash over your heart. Guiding principle number two. I honor animals as being not only my clients, but also my teachers in the journey of healing. Bring to mind animals who've offered, who, who you've offered Reiki sessions to. What have they taught you about the importance of letting go of anger and worry, of gratitude and compassion? Allow those lessons to flow over your heart. Guiding principle number three, I understand that all animals have physical, mental, emotional, 
and spiritual aspects to which Reiki can bring profound healing responses. Reflect upon the beautifully complex nature of the animals you've known. Perhaps an animal who surprised you with their cleverness, their bravery, or their resilience. In truth, we can only scratch the surface of the wisdom and depth of our animal's heart. Guiding principle number four. I believe that bringing Reiki to the human-animal relationship is transformational to the human view of the animal kingdom. Think about how your personal relationships with the animals in your lives, the ones that live with you in your home, or the ones you've invited into your family, all those animals who you've loved deeply and who love you deeply in return. Think about how these relationships deepen your empathy and compassion for other species and wider animal issues, maybe in your community or around the world. Guiding principle number five, I dedicate myself to the virtues of humility, integrity, compassion, and gratitude in my Reiki practice. Remember to stay mindful of the Reiki precepts in all of your Reiki work formal and informal, private and professional. For today only, do not anger, do not worry, be humble, be honest, be compassionate. And breathing again into the hara, bringing that light of healing in through your nose, filling your body all the way down to the hara, and breathing out, banding this light out your skin, out into the universe. And breathing in, filling your body with healing light all the way to the hara. And breathing out, expanding this light all around you. And breathing in, Filling your body with light, connecting with the hara, and breathing out, expanding. I'm taking a moment now to thank all of the animals for being such wonderful teachers in your life and throughout your Reiki practice. And setting your intention to finish, I'd like you to take a nice, deep, cleansing breath and slowly come back and open your eyes. So thank you all for being here tonight for uh, lesson one of the Code of Ethics course. 
Um, I hope that it will give you some food for thought throughout the week before we meet again for Lesson 2. Um, and um, as we go along throughout the next several weeks, if you have questions that come up, feel free to email them, and I will write them down and hopefully um, be able to answer them in the context of next week's class. So feel free to do that um, if, you, if something comes up during the week. Um, the recording of tonight's class should be on TalkShoe probably right after the call or at least by tomorrow morning. So you can re-listen to the meditation this week if you like. And I um, hope you all have a beautiful week. And blessings, everybody. Good night. Thank you. Thank you. Good night. Thank, Thank you. you. Good night. Good night. Good night. You're welcome. Good night. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.